Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of the Matt Luna Fishing Podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, one thing I'd like to do is grow this podcast. One way I think we could do it is by having you take a picture and posting it on your social media platform, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Tag me in that post and I will share it myself on my Instagram story. I really want the podcast to grow and I think this would be a fun way to share that my podcast is out there and that you guys are listening. So if you do that, thank you very much and here's today's episode. All right, everybody, I got a new interview going for you today. Um, I thought I'd bring this up on my channel and do something a little bit different. Today I got FLW Tour Pro Cody Murray. He's on his rookie season on the FLW Tour. Uh, Cody, thanks for uh, doing this interview with me, man. Not a problem, man. Appreciate you uh, reaching out and uh, giving me the opportunity. Yeah, no problem. I figured it'd be a good way for you know the, the the viewers and listeners that I have on my podcast and on my YouTube channel to hear from somebody that's trying to make it in the uh, pro fishing world. Because I get questions all the time about how do I go pro, what do I need to do, and you know, with with you just now getting started and on your rookie season, I think it's a great way for people to get insight into how they can go about trying to, you know, do exactly what you're doing. Yeah, so uh, a little bit of background as far as what I've done um, to get to the level that I'm at now. Uh, I started fishing tournaments 20 years ago uh, when I was 11. And, um, you know, I fished at the local club level and did uh, just draw tournaments. And uh, from there, I started fishing a little bit bigger circuits in my area, you know, um, and when I say bigger, I'm talking about club tournaments, eight to 12 boats going to, uh, you know, a circuit that was maybe 50 to 70 boats, depending. Was that like a team and tournament? Wasn't a team tournament, uh, was actually a pro-am style tournament. Okay. Uh, two days, Saturday, uh, Saturday, Sunday tournaments, always, uh, you know, no cut, just you fished both days and you drew out a different pro each day. After that, um, I fished a little bit of the state federations and things like that. And then attempted to fish as a pro um, through what would now be the Costa Series. Okay. Uh, FLW Costa Series on the West Coast. And unsuccessfully did that for two years. Um, was young. I was 19 and 20 running on my own dime, working concrete when I was home, you know, just traveling to those tournaments and uh, always needed to cut a check. And, uh, you know, when you're faced with that needing to cut a check problem, you're probably not going to fish that well. So when um, you were 19 and 20 and then obviously where you're at now, do you think, what do you think the big difference was in your success last year versus when you were younger? Do you think it was, you know, you just have more experience now or was it a maturity thing from, you know, being 19 and 20 to, you know, being a little bit older now? I think that a lot of it, you know, was experience and maturity when I was 21. Uh, actually, when I was 20, um, still when I was 20, I started a concrete curbing business here where I live. And, uh, you know, kind of put the rods away for the most part. I mean, you know, I know one year, like I had my boat still, but I put four hours on the big motor and one year I put seven hours wow. and then the next year I put, I believe it was 17 or 18 hours. So I pretty well 
foot the rods away for quite a while. Um, then I, I had a child as well, my daughter. And so then it was, I was never fishing on the weekends since I was my own contractor and owned my own business. I could fish, you know, some weekdays and things like that. But, um, yeah, I would say that it, the most, most of it would be, you know, correlated with both, um, experience and maturity and knowing how to, you know, when you're, say when you're young, when you're 19 and 20, there's some great 19 and 20 year old anglers out there. I think that high school fishing and college fishing have really boosted that, Uh um, along with say, you know, the internet, um, gives you the options. There's, there's so many tools that these guys have at their fingertips that I never had. I mean, and if they were there, it was very minimal. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the information that you can get now, I mean, when, when there was tournaments, you know, back in the 2000, early 2000s, even through mid 2000s, you didn't see results online for local tournaments for a month. Right. I mean, now you see those, you know, within hours. Um, so there's a lot of stuff out there that, that changed the game a bit. Um, you know, even electronics. Man, when I was fishing, there was paper maps and your depth finders. Mm-hmm. That's it. You didn't have any sort of mapping. There was nothing that you could do in that regard. Maybe expand on depth finders because I think there's a lot of young guys that, that listen to this. They may not even know what you're thinking of. And when you say depth finders, they're still thinking of the HDS units that you know we've had around for, for a little while now. So when I started, the first guy that I fished with actually had paper graphs where you have to load the paper into the individual unit itself. And it's basically like a printer, you know, and it prints off what it's seeing down there. But you're not getting contour at all mm-hmm. like you get today. Not not even a shade. A lot of guys, you know, used to fish with flashers. I I've been in many boats over the course of time where guys were using flashers where, you know, it's a round circular unit and there's different colors of lights flashing and you can tell by where the lights flashing on the unit, you know, that that goes from say at the top zero feet all the way around like a clock to maybe 60 feet Mm -hmm. and wherever the line flashes hard, that's how you know what depth you're in. Got it. Got it. You're, You're not seeing anything whatsoever. Got it, um, yeah. So that's where, you know, you know, like for instance, if you're ice fishing and you're using a flasher, which guys still use, right. you're looking and you see the bottom flashing there steady, right? Like it, it's reading the bottom, say yeah. over here on this side. Well, when you see something start flashing right here, you know, 10 feet shallower than where the bottom's flashing, you know, there's a fish there. That's how the ice fishermen know there's Got fish. Got it. So, you know, I grew up fishing on paper graphs and flashers, and uh, it's a lot different. That You know, now it's it's incredibly amazing. You know, you look at your unit, and you look at your mapping, and you're like, oh, I'm going to fish over there because that point looks great. Right, right. When you can but, see the contours and everything and how, it, how far that point goes out and everything like that, yeah. Right, you can, you know, you can adjust to your water level, and you can – you know, make your map smaller because you know the lake's down 62 feet, so you can take your map down to 62 feet, right? right? That's not at all. So it's a little different for me. 
I'm personally not that great on the graph. I mean, you know, like if I see a fish there, I'm going to drop to it and I'm going to catch it. I mean, yeah. video game fish. But I'm not a guy that spends a ton of time on the graph. And being a West Coast guy, fishing back east, you can look at a lot of that stuff. But at the same time, you got to think, when I'm looking at this stuff that looks good, right? Like you look at your map, you're like, oh, man, that's really juicy. That's That's mm-hmm. got it. At the same time, so is everybody else. Right. I mean, once you learn the fishing game, you understand what you should be looking for. And so, for me, you know, I do a fair amount of graphing, but a lot of times all I'm doing is I'm coming into an area and I'm looking for a certain type of bottom. So, my last few tournaments, Gunnersville at the championship, my first tour event at Rayburn, and my second tour event at Toho, and now my third upcoming tour event at Seminole are all grass lakes. So with my garments, I've figured out how to look at that screen on my side imaging uh-huh. and know exactly what I'm looking at for grass. I mean, I can tell hydrilla from eelgrass, from peppergrass, you know, and see all these different types of grass. Right. And know what I'm looking for. Then I've got to fish the grass. And I always fish the grass. Um, a lot of times what I'll do, it's a little trick that I think that for someone like me who isn't still completely familiar with what they're seeing, I will take a crankbait or, you know, a treble hook plug and throw it out there into the grass and catch that grass and see what it looks like. Because you're looking for that really clean, green stuff. Stuff you can rip the bait out of. Go ahead. Stuff you can, like, rip the bait out of. Right, because there's, there's grass everywhere, but some of that grass has dirt on it. Some of it's, you know, old. You can, It still shows up the same relatively on the depth finder, at least it does for me. But then when I find that really crispy new grass, then that's what I'm fishing. Right. Um, <clears throat> at the same token, man, I, I'm i still, you know, I'm still needing time on the water and fishing experience and bites um, as opposed to just looking at my units when I'm fishing back there in the south. Mm-hmm. And so I do spend a lot of time just fishing in practice. Got it. So, let, so let's talk about that a little bit. So let's go back to Sam Rayburn and, and talk about that a little bit. Um, you had a 45-place finish. You got a check out of that one. So, you know, I'd say for your first FLW Tour event, that's definitely going to be a successful event for you. I think I would be. You know, if I were in your shoes, I'd been really pumped on, on a 45-45th-place finish and getting a check out of the first one. So take us through that one. How'd that one go for you? Um, practice went pretty well. You know, when I fish, um, I learned something from a friend a long time ago where he said, if you're fishing the tour and you know, you're going to places that are huge, uh, because these places are so big. I mean, we fished California Delta, Lake Mead, and these places are two and three times the size of those. Wow. So you're fishing a place where you just, you know, the amount of time that you have three days is not very much time. So what I'll do is I'll typically break down the lake at home, look at my map, do some past research online of where what areas have produced in that lake at the time of year that I'm going there, if I can find that. And then I'll typically break it down into a seven-mile area because I feel like I can effectively fish two to three miles a day in practice. That's, that's, all, the, only, that's all the time you got. Yeah. You know, to effectively break something down. You're trying to fish multiple baits 
in the same areas to see what you can get bid on to break that window down and find out what they're going to eat for you in the tournament. Okay. So at Rayburn, I broke down a section of lake um, from the 147 bridge down to, oh, maybe around Mud Creek, not, not very far down. Um, pretty small area, in fact. And uh, I chose that area because of past history and what I've seen, you know, guys do over there. Um, and it worked out. So the first day of practice, I started out running, throwing a spinnerbait. I know they eat spinnerbaits there. It's something that I'm really comfortable with as opposed to, say, maybe like throwing a rattle trap like a lot of those guys love to do down there. Yeah. Because I knew the water, you know, the water is also nine feet above normal pool. And it's going to be a tough to fish that trap that deep. So I'm just throwing a three-quarter ounce spinnerbait, uh, Z-Man, sling blade, spinnerbait, you know, newer spinnerbait that they came out with, um, and rolling that thing down there over the tops of that hydrilla. Okay. And, uh, you know, on the tops and then on the old shoreline. So anywhere from nine to about 14 feet, I'm throwing that three-quarter ounce blade. Awesome. And, uh, you know, found some decent grass, some good grass, and, you know, what we call cuts or guts out on the West Coast, they call drains back there in the South, or okay. at least in Texas. So uh, I'm fishing drains, and, you know, it, it was pretty simple, I felt like, for me. Now, granted, I didn't catch monster bags like some of those guys did. And I, I don't want to say I wasn't looking for that, but I was looking for the most consistent areas where I could catch quality bites. And what I justify as quality was the fish that would cut a check, you know, that 13 pound bag. If I just caught all clones mm -hmm. and then if I caught a couple giants in there, because I did catch some big ones in practice, you know, uh, not true giants, but five pounders. Those are good ones. Uh, yeah. I caught, you know, three or four of those in, in four days and I wasn't, trying hard to catch those but i knew they were still filtering through my areas got it um and so you know i think that's the thing you try and find and i think you, you'll see if you watch that tournament as it's now come out online um you'll see that a lot of guys are making very specific precise casts to certain patches of grass or an area where the old shoreline you know maybe meets the what the new shoreline is and there's a specific spot there that those fish want to hold on, uh, like a hard bottom. You know, like maybe some clay was above that old shoreline, which now came into play, and they're just sitting right there on that clay spot. Got it. Okay. So, you know, that was one of those things that I did. I had some spots where um, it was kind of a one-cast deal, just like those guys. But instead of catching five, six, seven-pounders, I was – or, you know, four, five, six, seven-pounders, I was catching two to three-pounders, which – was honestly fine with me because I knew as long as I weighed a limit, like I said, of, you know, 13 to 14 pounds a day, I was going to cut a decent check. And the mindset of going out there, it wasn't a mindset of fishing for a check. It was a mindset of fishing to catch a limit each day and then give myself an opportunity, especially with a big fish or two, to be up there in the hunt. Got it. No, that sounds like a good plan to me. And it, it sounds like it worked out really well for you. And you're able to catch some fish, and it seemed like from somebody on the outside looking in, I mean, I know I was at Havasu at the time that the Rayburn event was going on, but even still from what I gathered after the event, it seemed like overall the bite was pretty tough. I mean, it always looks like 
the guys at the top smash them, but that doesn't always mean that the, the bite overall was good. Yeah, you know, the bite overall completely depended on the area that you were in and what style of fishing you were doing, Okay. honestly. I mean, you know, like, if you watch, I watched Terry Bolton on the final day, and there was a point in the morning where he was just catching them cast after cast after cast. And, you know, they weren't big ones. But I was doing the same thing, and so were a lot of other guys. I mean, I'm sitting there weighing, you know, feeling pretty good. Like, man, I'm catching about 20, maybe 25 fish a day. Um, but then there's guys that, you know, aren't catching a limit. And then there's guys, you're hearing guys come across the stage and say, oh, I caught 60 fish today. And wow. they're, being, they're being honest. So it really depended on what you found and what style of fishing you know you found. Got it. Okay. Well, let's let's go on to Toho. Toho was a little bit tougher for you. Um, you know, from whatever everything that I've heard, you know, Florida seems to be you know kind of unique compared to a lot of the other stuff that you know I've fished for sure, and probably what you fished as well. And I would imagine there's some translation maybe between like the Delta and Florida, but it seems like from everything I hear, Delta the, the Florida's pretty much like its own deal a little bit. Florida is completely its own deal. Um, you know, I went into Florida with a lot of confidence. Um, I had gone down there and pre-practice with a good friend of mine and uh, felt like we had dug up some good stuff. Um, I did fish that stuff. It was all offshore. And, you know, I was in the vicinity of where that tournament was won. Uh, the first day I didn't get any good bites in there on the second day I pulled up and, uh, caught a five pounder immediately and thought, okay, here, you know, here we go. Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to be back here. And, um, I caught another pound and a half and those were the only bites I got there that day. Um, kind of had to scramble around and that, that's not unique, you know, that, that's unique to Florida, but that's not a unique scenario. That's just kind of the average scenario. Got it. Um, you know, you look at that and Florida tournaments are, you know, they're all the same, really. If you look at them, look at John Cox. I mean, he smashed almost 32 pounds on day one, you know, kind of 10 and a half and a nine and had some other great fish to go in the bag. Day two, you know, he backs it up 17 pounds. That's still a really good Florida bag. And then comes in with eight pounds, I believe, on day three. Mm -hmm. That's Florida. I mean, that's that's what it does to you. One day you can smash the biggest bag of your life, and the next day you can barely catch, you know, eight pounds. Right. So, you know, and you got to think, like, Florida fish are, they're really fickle. They don't like the weather at all. They, they hunker down. They don't eat. They just flat out don't eat sometimes. And I think that's kind of what I experienced on day one. I did still stay outside a lot, you know, through a crankbait, through a trap, through a chatterbait, through a swimming worm, which were all things that guys in the top 10 threw for sure. Right. Um, you know, I stayed in Toho the entire time. My practice was really good in there. I didn't stick many fish. I don't, I very seldom stick fish in practice. Uh, more than, you know, honestly, I think in, in raid running practice, I probably caught about, maybe 12 bass in three days and just had a lot of bites. And then at Toho, I believe I caught eight fish in practice in three days. Okay. 
and, and at that point, didn't have a ton of bites either, honestly. Um, and it kind of switched up. But I also wasn't really, you know, I went out to my first offshore area and practiced. And as soon as I got to my mark, I made a cast with a square bill and caught a five-pounder. So I said, okay, I'm done here. So I packed up and left. Same thing on another area. Went to another area, made a cast in there, caught a four-and-a-half-pounder, left. So, you know, you just don't know. I mean, it's tough to know. Hindsight is, are those the only ones that are sitting there? Or they just not bite the day that I was there. Right, yeah. Do you think that the way the weather was, because I obviously – you know, MLF was there doing their thing before you guys got there and it was cold and, you know, all that was going on and then it started to warm up. Do you think that kind of screwed up maybe what you found pre-practicing or, or was it just, you know, they were moving up, getting ready to do their thing? Yeah, I definitely heard. I mean, there's no question. I would love for it to stay nasty and stormy and cold um, for me. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I think it would have put more pressure in my areas offshore, but at the same time, I kind of had a I feel like pretty dialed, you know, made a few more marks in those offshore areas in practice, caught a few more fish, expanded a little bit. Um, but a lot of that offshore stuff wasn't the easiest to find, um, you know, in a three-day practice. That's why it was nice to have a three-day pre-practice and then come back and expand on it with a three-day practice. For sure, for sure. So let's go back to um, 2018 where you had a real good – Costa year out here on the West Coast, fourth overall in Angler of the Year standings, and there's some sticks out here in the West, man, so, you know, getting a fourth place finish is, is killer, and that's what propelled you to be, um, get your invite into the tour for this year, right? Yeah, that's that's where I got the invite from, was, was having a good year there. Um, you know, I would say that really a lot of stuff ended up happening, I, I you know, I started I sold a boat in uh, 2016, I believe, and it was the bass cat that I had my whole life. I sold it, and I was waiting on a boat for about nine months, so I fished co-angler um, with one bass, or, or not one bass, excuse me, Wild West Bass Trail. Okay. Uh, I fished the co-side. I went to Shasta just for fun. Somebody's like, hey, we need another guy in the house. Why don't you come down? Okay, I come down come down there can't even fish with my left arm and i'd had an injury so i just bring spinning rods basically and end up finishing ninth there uh, and then go to mojave and fish there as a co just for fun actually a buddy said hey will you come down and fish i he came in from salt lake city and he's like hey i'll pay for your plane ticket if you'll fly out tomorrow i'm you know bored in the hotel room alone <laughs> All right, fine. So he paid for me to fly down there, end up leading that event going into the final day. Lost. I don't even know. I mean, you know, I fish for smallmouth all the time. Big ones, catch them, you know, 25 to 30 pound bags often. And uh, I lost on that day at Mojave. I'm going to say somewhere in the 23 to 24 pound range of fish, end up weighing in one fish for 14 ounces. Wow. And that was all out of the lead. What's that? And that was when Wild West was doing the uh, co-anglers run your own boat on the final day, right? Because I fished yeah. that Mojave tournament, and, and that was my first ever pro-am fishing, and I had a blast fishing it, but for me, I, I, I didn't figure anything out until the fu- my second day of that tournament. But, but yeah, uh, you know, someone like you with all the experience, it had to be, 
you know, something that you look forward to on the final day, being able to run that boat yourself. Yeah, it was really nice. You know, at Shasta, they didn't give us any friendly water. We had just the squaw arm. Um, and me having a hurt arm, I couldn't throw anything reaction. I was just throwing, you know, like a tube and stuff like that. And, it, and the water was super dirty in there. And it just didn't play out. Um, but at Mojave, I was catching all my fish off of beds. Even when I was in the back of the boat, you know, a guy would be going down the bank. I'd spot one that he didn't see. I'd throw to it and catch it. Um, and that was the same thing the final day. I just, I don't know. I couldn't keep anything pegged. I had never heard of, you know, fishing a fly for bedfish. <laughs> uh, and, and these guys were doing that because those fish were biting really funky. Um, they were just, you know, I was throwing a Senko at them and they just weren't eating it on the final day. Uh, they ate it the first two. I never had any problems losing fish. And then the final day, you know, just couldn't pin one to save my life. Yeah, I found out a lot about the fly come come that tournament too, and now it's definitely something that when it comes to those smallmouth, for sure, that's a, that that can be a smallmouth killer. Yeah, you know they suck that bait in; it's no problem. And I'm sure, honestly, had I had I had a fly, I had one cove where I missed four bedfish, um, and I missed three of the four on multiple accounts multiple times mm -hmm. and uh just you know just killed me i mean it was also difficult when i travel i travel in one plano 370 box that's all i take with me um and you know i was fishing out of a buddy clayton myers boat and uh he's been a west coast hammer for for a long time mm -hmm. and you know the rule was though that you couldn't, you know, if you're borrowing a boat, you couldn't get into the tackle of the person who owned the boat. So, you know, I honored the rule and didn't get in there. Um, I just didn't have the right stuff to throw at those fish, you know, in my own boat or dishonestly getting into his stuff. Without a doubt, I can catch at least, you know, I only needed two of those fish to win. I lost by four pounds with one 14 ounce fish. And it, you know, it would have been. Wow. I lost a fish with five minutes to go that I believe, I believe would have went well over six. And I lost her at the rail trying to get her in the net. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. It's just, that's probably the worst, I'll call it luck, that I've ever had a turn. Wow. That's brutal when you've got that chance to win. It's one thing to, you know, not be in that position and, and, and have some bad luck, but to be in a position to win and have, and have that kind of luck, that's, that's brutal. That's a tough way to, to lose it when you're when you found them, could have caught them, and it just doesn't happen. Yeah, when you get them to bite and you lose them, that's on you. I mean, some of that's on you, and they're biting funny. But some of that, when you've got all that going on, it's on you. But anyway, so fast forward from that, um, then I go to the U.S. Open, uh, late 2017. I'm practicing. I go, man. Uh, I was practicing with a friend from Southern California. And, kind of rolling down this bank. I make one cast on the spinnerbait and I catch a five pounder kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But when she comes up, she's got some really nice green grass on the blade, uh, hydrilla. So I, I catch her and I immediately put my rods down. I start metering this area, looking at it. It's got some rock veins with some hydrilla running through these veins. I said, this is where the U S open will be won. If I can fish this spot, I will win it here. Mm-hmm. And uh, as luck would have it, I wasn't the only one that found it. 
Justin Patty pulled in there about 15 seconds before me on the first day. <clears throat> we shared water um, the whole entire tournament. Both of us kind of shared that spot. And he ended up winning, and I ended up getting ninth. And then from there, it just kept rolling. I mean, ninth there. Eighth at Shasta, or sorry, excuse me, fifth at Shasta for Wild West. Um, then I went to uh, Havasu, never been there before, through a Senko, and, you know, caught, I think I was 17 and a half on the first day. It was up there, tied for second, I believe. Um, next day, broke off one and lost one at the boat that, you know, easily would have made the cut. I believe I would have been leading that tournament going to the final day. And uh, that's just fishing, but still finished in 17th there. That was FLW, right? That was FLW, yeah, for the Costas. Um, and then went to Don Pedro, ended up getting second there for Wild West. And um, back to the Delta for Wild West, did absolutely terrible, never been there before, and finished in 96th. Um, trying to fish... Uh, information, you know, Hey, I've never been to the Delta. Can you help me out? Oh, fish here, do this, fish here, do this for me. Definitely not the thing to do. Um, fishing somebody else's information doesn't work for most people. Definitely does not work for me. So if you could do something different at the Delta fishing more your style, what do you think you would have done? And for people that don't know, the Delta has got tons of grass. Everything looks fishy. There's, matted grass there's submerged grass there's pads everywhere there's it there's everywhere on the delta looks fishy so you know that kind of gives people an idea a little bit if i had to do things over on the delta especially seeing the time of year that we were there and going back there you know and knowing now kind of who does what and how they do it there mm -hmm. after you know being there and seeing what goes on if I was to go there again, I honestly believe that going there when we went there, and it was kind of a funky bite, you know, you were there, the weather was a little bit up and down, if you will, right? I mean, this wasn't the greatest weather. Yeah. I think that I personally would throw one rod. I would throw a drop shot the entire time. That's probably all I would do if I was going back. Yeah, my biggest fish uh, I caught the entire trip was on a drop shot on outside toolies. Yeah, and I got you know caught up in a lot of different things, if you will. You know, trying to do this, trying to do that, and that's not my game. Uh, my game is really simple. You know, I, I can tell you. I mean, I can tell you at the U.S. Open, I caught all my fish on a jig, uh, rolling into Shasta. I caught all my fish on a senko and a really shallow jerkbait. Going to Pedro. I caught all my fish on a drop shot and a Texas rig. Uh, I know on the footage of Wild West on the last day, you saw me chucking a Carolina rig around a little bit, and I caught a couple fish on that. Didn't weigh those fish in. They all came on a Texas rig that day late in the afternoon. Um, and then, you know, going to, uh, to Havasu, I caught all my fish on a Senka. Um, then, you know, like that Delta tournament, I threw – the kitchen sink at them, and I did terrible. Mm -hmm. We go to Clear Lake for, you know, FLW, and I caught all my fish on the first day throwing a rip bait, and when I only caught 12 and a half pounds, soon realized that I needed to mix it up a little bit. Second day, went out, caught a limit on a rip bait real quick, 
and then started throwing a Carolina rig the entire rest of the day and caught 17 and a half pounds and snap your finger. I mean, it literally took me, I think I had those fish in about 10 minutes. Wow. Uh, it was, it was fast. I mean, extremely fast. It was just cast after cast after cast to the point that my co was like, Hey, I'm just going to stand here with a net. So, you know, they just said they had backed out. I mean, it was the, it was the first, I was catching my fish on, you know, pilings, throwing a rip bait around pilings. And they basically all pulled out all the quality fish, the three and fours that I was catching, mm-hmm. pulled right back to the first drain, first cut, first gut, whatever you want to say. There was a little bit of hydrilla in there and they pulled right out to that first edge of that hydrilla and were sitting right on the outside. I was throwing a Z-Man fatties on that Carolina rig, and you know that Z-Man product floats. So I think it was extremely important. I mixed it up after that and never got bit throwing anything else. Thought maybe I can throw, you know, say a trick worm or something like that in there and never got bit. And I wouldn't even move the bait. I'd throw the Carolina rig in there and I'd just literally let it sit. Until one swam over and ate the bait. And I think it's because the bait was sitting up above the grass a little bit on that outside edge. Mm-hmm. That would be fun. Um, you know, because I had a co and I told him, I said, you can throw in there. So he was throwing, he threw a Senko in there, on a, you know, on a nail weight, threw several different things in there. They wouldn't touch it. Um, so, you know, that's just one of those things where kind of right place, right time, exact right rig. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stuff happens. I mean, that, that really does. It happens. And, and a lot of times I think you see that when you uh when you see a win when you see somebody go coast to coast with something they did that in practice and it just stayed for them the entire time yeah yeah so let's go back up you guys finished the flw at um the delta right because it went havasu clear lake delta and that was later on and later on the year in september which is going to be totally different than like when we were there for the wild west so how that one shake up for you i know that there was a little boating fiasco for you that out there in that one right yeah we had a little problem there you know with the boat just to i think i think that you know i was coming out of frank's into into old river area and uh it just i think we just hit current honestly and just it, it, maybe some air got between you know the prop and, and i don't know what but i think that's what happened because couldn't find any malfunctions or any codes or anything with mm-hmm. the boat um, I think just we had a little air in the prop. When you got air in a prop, it slips. I mean, that's just what it does. And I think that plus the current gave us a problem. But, you know, that practice was uh, entirely different for me. I knew that, you know, obviously you're at the Delta in September. The fish are going to be active. Um, it's warm, uh-huh. you know. So I really tried to dial my tide charts in a lot better at that tournament um, get to know it a little more, spend time chasing it a little bit during practice, you know, and, and not necessarily chasing it from spot to spot, but chasing the tide from area to area, if that makes sense. You know, not running a mile to chase the tide to a spot, but running four miles to chase the tide to another area. Do you think that that was successful for you in terms of being able to run it? Because I know a lot of, from what I hear, a lot of the guys that are, you know, Delta guys they'll do that a lot because the fish are active during that tide. So the longer you can run it, the more active fish you're going to be around. It was definitely a huge factor for me in practice. When I got on perfect tides, I could light them up real easy. 
I mean, practice each day for me, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, 18 to 21 pounds a day, no problem. Got it. Um, I, I think that definitely could have happened for me in the tournament, but the first day, um, I just, I mixed my tides up and made a, you know, a mental error and ran down south first when I should have ran north first and I ran south and granted, I should say I'm by no means a Delta expert, by no means know very much about the Delta, but for the, I should say for the tides, I was fishing the way I was fishing the Mm -hmm. tides. I made, I made the moves backwards. So I ran south first, man, I pulled up, I had been throwing a walking bait and lighting them up in practice and I start throwing the walking bait, and I'm just getting lit up cast after cast. They're all stripers. They're good ones. They're four to ten pounders, um, quality fish. And, you know, I catch like one or two bass mixed in. They're maybe two pounders. But the stripers were in there. And, you know, so I had to – then I was forced to stay, basically. So I stayed and had to wait through all of that – to get to my window down there, but I wasted what would have been three hours of critical time up north had I ran to my north fish first and then came back down. I think I would have been significantly better off. Mm-hmm. I only caught, I think, 12 pounds, maybe 12 and a half that day. Next day I go out say, well, I know I did it wrong. And even though I've lost an hour in my window because of the tide changing, right. I'm still going to go north. So I go north, and I get there, and I had drawn Rachel Uribe, and uh, she's a great fisherman. So I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to throw, like, some bigger reaction and let her, because she was going to throw a drop shot um, and, like, a nail weight. So I kind of let her, you know, do that. And so she started out, and she caught, I think, the first three. And, you know, they were, like, pound and a half to two pounders, so they were not bad fish. But I just kept throwing the reaction, throwing the reaction, as soon as I get to, to my better area, you know, I, you know, there's definitely stretches of better grass and bank and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I get to the better area, I throw up there, I catch four pounder on Chatterbait. And uh, so I said, oh, you know, I know. So I ended up leaving there with a limit. I only stayed for one hour because I knew my window had shrunk. So I knew with the time it took me to run south, did I be there? Sure enough, go back down there, pitch to a, you know, a, a little tule clump just on a bank. I've been throwing top water on that bank, pitch over there at Senko, catch a two and a half pounder, and we just keep working through there. She filled out her limit. I culled a couple times. We got to a slack tide, and I thought, you know, with the way the grass set up up north, it was just going to be the spot to go. And I ran back up there, and, you know, I only had two rods at this point because I'd lost all my other rods the day before in my incident. Mm Mm-hmm. So I had two rods, so I was alternating baits back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I hadn't thrown a drop shot, but I tied a drop shot on. And first outside clump I came to, I pitched my drop shot over there. It's sitting there, and then it just starts swimming off. I swing on it, it's four-pounder. And uh, I'm like, okay, here we go. They're here. You know, I'm going to catch them. We fish around that area for a while longer, and uh, wind starts blowing fairly hard. So I'm fishing the backside of some current breaks and stuff go and get right where I caught my chatterbait fish and stick a three or excuse me, a four and a half pound spinnerbait fish. 
And uh, that's just kind of how it rolled for me. You know, it was uh, fishing by the seat of my pants all year, basically, throwing what felt good to throw. And just after I had that terrible tournament in the Delta, I just fished nobody's information. I just went out, I went fishing, did my thing, stuck with the four or five confidence baits that I really throw. And that was that. Just, just threw what I, you know, what my gut told me to throw. Got it. Got it. Well, it obviously worked out for you, man. And I know you got family stuff going. And um, do you, are there any sponsors you want to shout out, or you know? Yeah, you know, uh, Seaman is is probably one of my one of my biggest sponsors uh, for sure. That makes some great product. I throw you know a ton of their soft plastic line and, and their you know their new spinnerbait, the sling blades. I throw a ton. Obviously, the chatterbait. From original chatterbait all the way through the jackhammer, um, Triton boats. I started running a Triton this year. Just a phenomenal boat. You you got uh, you got the whole package with that boat. Certain boats do a lot of things really well, and I feel like that you know Triton's kind of been redesigned and, and really liking that. Um, you know Garmin of the electronics I run. All the electronics are good out there. I run Garmin. I feel like they're you know, with the pan optics capabilities and the things that they offer, uh, you know, maybe a touch above the rest, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, then I throw Daiwa rods and reels. Uh, that's a, that's a, I've been throwing Daiwa reels for basically my entire life, 20 years. I started out throwing the SS tournaments way back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the team Daiwa casting stuff, I know it's definitely come up recently. Um, you know, and then just, just there's a whole bunch of other people that do support me um, as far as, you know, PowerPole does a great job, support a lot of the guys on tour, make a great product. Um, if you're looking for a shallow water anchor, I'm going PowerPole. Uh, you know, G Money Jigs is a good friend of mine, Trey, makes all my football head stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, Nixon's Marine is, is up here in the Northwest. They're, you know, they're a great supporter of what I do. Um, man, I, I'm drawing a blank on some other stuff there. It's all right, man. I'm, you know, I, I, I get how it goes with that. I've you've been on stage and you're trying to make sure you said everybody's name. I get it. But, um, dude, I just want to say thanks for, you know, being a part of this, letting me interview you. I think that this conversation has been really cool. I think a lot of good information's come out of it and, you know, just, your history and everyone just thinks everyone just starts out as a pro, but they don't realize that, you know, even you being, you know, pretty young guy still was, you know, fishing the last 20 years. And, um, thanks again for being on here and I appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate you, uh, giving me the opportunity to, to come on here and kind of chat with you a little bit and share some of my story. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. There's, uh, there's so much time that has to be dedicated to the to the fishing end of it alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, being out there on the water and learning and adjusting, all that I can really say is if you're an angler and you're trying to get out there and you want to do it, really find your niche. Find what you do well and stick with that. If you say you you know you throw jigs, throw jigs. If you're a drop shot guy, throw drop shot jig. You know if you're a reaction guy. Throw the reaction that you like to throw. Um, for the most part, a bass is a bass is a bass. They're going to eat whatever you throw to them. 
Obviously, there's certain times of year where things come into play. I totally understand that. Seasonal patterns are a big deal. But do what you do, and if you keep it pretty narrow, that's probably going to be you know my biggest key to success out there for for guys that are trying to do it. Awesome, man. That's on, that's you know I'm going to take something from that, and I think that that's really good info, and I think that's. We want to be versatile, but we also need to have some strengths that we can rely upon. So I think that's pretty good info, man. Well, thanks again, dude. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know that you've been crazy busy running around fishing and you're back home. And I just appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And and uh, I you know, can't wait for other people to be able to watch this. Right on, man. I really appreciate it. Hey everybody, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Matt Luna Fishing Podcast. I want to let you know about my email list. If you want to sign up for my email list, you can sign up in the description of this episode. In my email list, I send out tips, updates on when new videos and podcasts are available. I'd love for you to be a part of it and allow me to create content for you outside of social media and this podcast. Sign up below in the description of this podcast. Thanks.